Welcome into Words with Wallace. I'm your host, Nick Wallace, coming at you. It is Monday, August 21st. If you guys are reading the title or joining us on the YouTube, you can see that we are joined by another very special guest, Vivek Jacob of Raptors.com and the Locked On Podcast Network covering the Toronto Raptors. Vivek, how are you doing today, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Vivek is uh, obviously, he produces great content. He writes great articles for Raptors.com and he is clearly an NBA junkie like myself. If, if we're here in the middle of August talking ball, talking raps, uh, you know, it's not for the faint of heart to do NBA content in this time of the year. So we are super grateful to have him. And honestly, I'm very excited for this one because the Raptors, man, like they are a, a puzzling group. And I know uh, Vivek knows the Raptors like the back of his hand, but I did just want to, before diving into it, just set the scene real quick for the Raptors history since winning the championship in 2019. Because it, it, it seems like they're going in a direction that might not be the best for the fan base. So let's just kind of lay it out again. Winning the 2019 title, um, obviously the following year, the bubble season, they lost in the second round to the Celtics uh, of the playoffs. That is the following year after that, they missed the playoffs altogether. They bottomed out. Uh, obviously, we're able to grab Scotty Barnes in the draft that following offseason. Then they got lost. They lost in the first round to the 76ers in a series that wasn't all that close. And then, of course, this past year, they lost to the Chicago Bulls and DeMar DeRozan's daughter, DR DeRozan, playing a large role in that defeat, as Vivek knows all too well, came up short in the play-in tournament. Um, so they're in this kind of no-man's land here. Now, they did make some moves in the offseason, obviously being able to grab Grady Dick out of Kansas with the 13th pick in the draft. They did lose Fred Van Vliet to free agency uh, to the uh, Houston Rockets, that is. They signed Jalen McDaniels, Dennis Schroeder, re-signed Jakob Pertl, and of course, losing head coach Nick Nurse to Philadelphia, bringing in rookie head coach uh, Darko um, as the new head coach of the franchise. So just wanted to set the scene and, and check in with Vivek here, man. What are, after saying all that, I know you know that all too well, you know, what are the vibes like and, and where is this team kind of headed? Uh, you know what, to that last point, I don't know if anyone knows where this team is headed. Uh, I think right now they're still up in the air in terms of, uh, you know, do you really focus in on uh, development and the younger guys or are you trying to hang on to something while Pascal is on the roster? And I think that's what people are waiting to see because if you're all in on the development, then logically you probably move on from Pascal Siakam as amazing as he is and I think super highly of him. I think that would just be the logical decision to make. Um, seeing what the ceiling of the team is currently. And so uh, if that's not the case, then you maybe you look to move uh, one of the younger guys or a couple of the younger guys to get Siakam another star to play with. Um, so I think we're still in limbo with that. And in terms of the vibes, I think that's what the team is trying to reset now, right? Having moved on from Nick Nurse and uh, a lot of the discontent that seemed to be plaguing the team last season, what does it look like now with Darko Ryakovic in the mix and his seemingly extremely positive energy uh, and, you know, just trying to bring uh, some of that positivity back. So I think the vibes... Uh, are a question mark to me. I won't say that they're completely resolved when we haven't even seen them play a game yet uh, under the new regime. So um, it all sounds fine and dandy, but uh, I, I would like to see what it looks like, you know, after 10, 20 games of the season. Yeah, yeah, that's that's all great points right there. And I think it's 
It's really interesting, right, because, you know, obviously the team achieved monumental success, winning the 2019 title, kind of stealing that away from Golden State. And you've slowly seen these stars and these pieces of the championship team trickle away, obviously losing Kawhi Leonard right after, losing DeMar DeRozan, losing Kyle Lowry, losing Fred Van Vliet most recently. And really the only piece left of that championship core is, like you said, Pascal Siakam, who's still playing at an all-star level. But, you know, it just kind of begs the question with them being, you know, exactly 500 last year, uh, again, losing, you know, an all-star level talent in Fred Van Fleet. You know, it just kind of seems, and I, I hate to say it because I do like the Raptors, like they're headed in the middle of nowhere. And as we know in the NBA, the last place you want to be is, is right in the middle, right? You don't want to be in that, you know, purgatory, as I call it, right? It's, it's kind of where Washington was dwelling before they made the decision to blow it up this past year, right? It's kind of like where, you know, Portland still kind of finds himself in that realm, depending on what happens with Damian Lillard. And, and you don't want to be right there in the middle. And, you know, my question to you is, is again, like, you know, if it was up to you, do you think that this team should look to rebuild? Now, obviously, they have some really valuable pieces, right? It was reported that around the trade deadline, OG Ananobi, you know, apparently there were multiple offers of, you know, three first round picks, according to Zach Lowe. I don't know if that's entirely true, but, you know, that is a humongous price tag for a really, really solid player in OG Ananobi. You would imagine that Pascal Siakam's value, if anything, is maybe a little bit higher than that. You know, would it behoove the team to just get out in front of this thing, you know, hit the big red button, blow it all up, and at least have a direction moving forward? I think so. I think uh, if Pascal Siakam, you know, based on the reports, was willing to sign an extension with another team, I think we might have had a deal already. <laughs> uh, I think that's probably the biggest holdup. But I think if you're the Raptors, you also have to be able to pivot from that and, and say that, hey, if he's not willing to budge, uh, then it's probably in your best interest to just lock in an extension and up his value that way. And so I think right now you're in between a rock and a hard place in the sense that, okay, teams get the impression that he's not willing to sign an extension with them. So they're only going to offer up so much. And uh, if you're the Raptors, you're maybe, you know, trying to play hardball with Pascal and say, Hey, you know, we don't think an extension is going to work out here. So you might want to change your mind and be open to going to some of these teams uh, that are making offers. And so uh, I think that's probably where they're stuck right now. But at some point, the Raptors will have to pivot and just say, hey, okay, we're not getting the offer that we want. So it's in our best interest to get him on an extension, have him on a long-term deal, and then other teams will look at that and say, okay, now, you know, when he becomes available six months from now or whatever it is from when he signs his extension. Now, if you trade for him, you get him for three years or whatever it is. Uh, and I think then you start to get better offers than what you're getting right now. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating, right? Like it, it's kind of, I didn't even think about it in the, in the situation of Pascal, right? But it's like this player empowerment movement, right? It's almost beneficial. And it seems like the mindset of these players is, all right, Regardless of where I want to be over the next couple years, let me sign that contract first, most likely sign with my current team. That way they can offer me the max extension, secure my finances, get that back, and then we'll figure out the happiness and where I want to play down the road, right? And so it is funny. I didn't, I, honestly, this doesn't get a ton of attention on the national media level, so I wasn't super informed on this situation with Pascal, but 
it's right you hit the head you hit it right in the head right like you want him under that max extension so at least his trade value or not necessarily max extension but under an, a lengthy extension that way he becomes more of a movable piece so i think that that it, it is super interesting to think about right and you know if they were to head into this rebuild right it seems like they're really the only core piece that they have on the current roster or last year's roster anyway obviously they just added grady dick who obviously hasn't played a game yet they want to see what they got there but it, it seems like the, the building block is Scotty Barnes, right? There's no secret. Obviously, winning Rookie of the Year his first season in, in a pretty loaded rookie class, right? That was a pretty tight Rookie of the Year race. Obviously, he had kind of a, on the national level anyway, it was, it was pointed out that he's probably going through a quintessential sophomore slump, right? It just seemed like that luster had kind of worn off. He, he struggled to kind of start the year. I think he finished the year a little bit stronger than that. What does that ideal team look like if they were to tear it down to the studs, build around Scotty Barnes? What do you think is the type of pieces that you would need to surround him to put him in a situation to succeed. Are you of the, you know, point Scotty camp? Do you believe that that could be a real thing if, if having this, you know, unorthodox six foot, six foot eight, six foot nine uh, defensive point guard? Like, does that, is, is that what you envision? Or is it uh, something more traditional? Uh, does he need some other playmakers around him to have the most success for this Raptors team if he's going to be the centerpiece? Yeah, I think this is a big season in terms of understanding whether or not Scotty has a long-term future as uh, a full-time point guard. I, I think, you know, he's going to be kind of thrown into the fire and what whatever happens this season, whether there's growing pains, whether he just is amazing at it off the jump, um, they're going to just want to know, they're going to want to know what the results are, right? And I think that's an important thing to just test it out. Let's get an answer on what this is. Uh, and then we can move on from there. So uh, in terms of building a team around Scotty Barnes, uh, I'll be honest with you, that's part of why I did not like the uh, Jacoperto trade. Um, I, I felt that, you know, obviously in a vacuum, Jacoperto is a very good player, a, a really solid center in the league uh, and really good defensively. And he's going to make your team better. In terms of thinking about what uh, a Scotty... Uh, a, a team built around Scotty looks like, I would want a center that can space the floor. Now, those are very difficult to get and very difficult to find, but that's part of the problem when you look at this Raptors roster, right? Like, again, it's the pieces don't really fit. And especially with Scotty and Pascal being on the team together, having Yak next to them makes the spacing even more difficult. That's why even when you debate what the starting lineup should look like right now, you're almost forced to put Gary Trent Jr. into the starting lineup next to Scotty and OG, uh, Pascal and Yak, just to get that spacing, right? Because uh, realistically, you wouldn't want to put as much pressure on Scotty uh, as a point guard. So it'd be nice to have Dennis Schroeder in there uh, to help him out a little, but because of the spacing issues, it's like, okay, you know what? It, logically, you, I think you just need Gary out there. And so um, I think you're forced into the, these decisions constantly uh, with the current makeup of the roster. And so that's something that they're going to have to change up. And so, yeah, realistically, Scotty, on, on the whole, you're looking at surrounding him with as much shooting as possible, uh, smart cutting, because again, you know, in terms of his vision, he's good at identifying that. Um, and find finding those uh, passing angles. So that's what you want to amplify if he's your point guard. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great point that, you know, obviously this, this is an incredibly smart front office that's achieved a great deal of success over the last decade or so. But 
Sometimes it is that simple, right? It just comes down to having guys that can space the floor. And, and sadly for the Raptors, it seems like they're, you know, they're pretty short on those guys, right? Like obviously, OG, he has all this value on the on the free agent market, on the free agent market, on the trade market rather. But again, he's still one of the only guys as well, along with Gary Trent, that can shoot the ball at, at close to a 40% clip. And, you know, if you have, you know, Scotty Barnes, who's had question marks from the outside, Jakob Pertl, who's a, obviously a complete non-shooter. And, you know, Siakam, that shot kind of comes and goes, right? But uh, it is it is pretty difficult to envision that that team around Scotty, you know, with a lot of the pieces they have. It seems like there would need to be a pretty massive shift to get Pascal out of there, bring in some more shooters, maybe, you know, find another center, like you said, that can shoot at least a backup option for certain lineup flexibility there that would behoove Scotty. But, you know, my question for you is, it, it, let's, let's make it fun, right? We're in the middle of August. We're, you know, there isn't a ton going on with the Raptors right now, per se. But let's say Masai and company approached you, Vivek. You know, they're like, hey, you, you do fantastic work for us on Raptors.com. You do great articles, talented podcaster. We want your opinion, right? If you could make any move within reason, right, one move, right? Now, obviously, um, you can get as creative as you want with this exercise. You know, what would it be, right? Is it that, you know, hey, maybe we should just kind of circle the block on, on those OG offers and, and get some draft capital in the building, right? We don't have a I – don't, I don't believe they don't have their first-round pick next year. Um, if, if that to be true, right? So maybe get some draft capital there. Is it moving on from Pascal, like, you know, regardless, you know, just kind of cutting bait on him now, bringing in some more perimeter shooting? What would be that one move you could make if Masai approached you today? Uh, so I would look at it two ways. I, I do think that, you know, there is, because you have Pascal and uh, Yak and OG, um, you can look at, getting more into a win now window and and just scoping out what a Scotty package gets you right is there a superstar to be had is like say for example if if for whatever reason Dame uh Portland is not looking to move Dame to Miami right can you get in there somehow and say okay we'll give you Scotty plus whatever um it you know make the salary work um and get dame to toronto right and now he's playing with pascal um og yak we'll have to see what that negotiation looks like sure <laughs> you know it, it would take a lot a lot to get uh dame and so we don't even know if like does does og even stay in toronto if that's the case right um and so uh i think there's the one path there where you look at hey can scotty still get you like a superstar type player and you stay in this win now mode or then do you just move on from Pascal? Um, I, I think that's the way the reports suggest they're leaning. And I think it would be simpler if Pascal was willing to sign an extension with another team. Uh, and so, yeah. And, and then you just enter kind of a rebuild and kind of the model I look at what, with regards to Pascal and Masai has experience with this. He traded Carmelo Anthony from Denver, right? And so um, can you get those rebuilding pieces similar, uh, it, you know, something in that vein? Or you look at when Indiana traded Paul George, right? Obviously, Victor Oladipo's career has gone downhill um, because of injuries. But the type of player he was uh, and looked like he could be, you know, you want to find someone who offers that type of ceiling, right? That all-star caliber talent, uh, may potentially all NBA talent. Like an even better example would be when um, uh, the Clippers uh, got Paul George, right? 
Yeah. Uh, and you look at you look at OKC getting Shea Gilgis Alexander, right? So can you get that really top tier young talent that hasn't it maybe isn't looked at the way he should, right? Yeah. Um. And, and so, uh, you know, another example that kind of is coming out of this is you look at the type of player uh, Mikhail Bridges looks like now uh, compared to before the Suns trade, right? Yep. No one thought he would be that capable uh, an individual offensive talent. And he's shown some really, really good signs since the Nets trade. Um, so who are those under, radar, uh, under the radar guys who haven't got as much opportunity but could potentially be all-star superstar type players? Yeah, that makes sense. It's that separation, right? If you can do both and kind of double dip, like, hey, if you're moving away from an all-star in Pascal Siakam, I don't just want your three first, you know, four first, whatever. I want that one, you know, at least that lottery ticket, right? And obviously, there there is no better example than the Paul George example. We actually just discussed that last episode with our guy Darian from the Locked On Clippers podcast because, you know, it just gets, they get so much heat for that, right? Because now Shea's averaging 30 and you haven't even cashed in on those draft picks. That's obviously the best way a trade like that can go. But that is smart, right? Because this is still a competitive team. It's a team that has not, obviously they bottomed out that one season. Uh, a lot of that was due to injuries and losing some of their, their you know, core pieces of that championship team. Uh, but that being said, this isn't a team that – that's not how the Raptors roll. You know that all too well, right? Like, they like to stay competitive. If you can get a young guy in there that keeps them in the the play-in hunt, um, that's better for the fan base, and you still get some draft capital and some, you know, the chance to develop that talent. I think that that is – that's really smart. So I, I do also really want to comment on that zag on the Dame thing, right? Because it is so interesting that, you know, sadly the way that, that Dame and his camp have gone about this, that it just – it's so damaging to the, all the other teams that would even think about it, right? Because – you know, unless you have some inside information on it for us, like we have no idea if the Raptors would even think about it because it's such a massive risk to trade for, you know, a guy of that talent, but he he's unhappy, right? He's threatened to not really, you know, cooperate with these other teams. Like, you know, to call your bluff and move on from a guy that is beloved in the fan base and Pascal Siakam, you know, that's a major dice roll, but it could be worth it, right? Because pairing up Dame with, with some of the talent on that Raptors team, that's that's kind of an ideal fit for him, right? Yeah, no question. Uh, and I think, again, it's just where is Dame's head at right now? Is he really just hell-bent on, like, Miami or bust? Um, and is that the just what the situation is? And is it just a matter of time before that deal actually goes down? That seems uh, what this, to be what the scenario is. But it, it's a big if. If, for whatever reason, um, Dame would entertain Toronto... You know, if Portland were to be like, hey, Toronto's got this great offer for us, it would set us on the right path. You know, we've already got, you know, pieces like Scoot and Shaden and, you know, we, we throw Scotty in there. We really like what we can do going forward. This would really help us out. And you you would still get a really good situation in Toronto. Um, would you be amenable to that? I think that's where uh, it just comes down to what Dame wants, right? And if he just comes back and says, hey, I've said it from the beginning, Miami or bust, Miami or bust, Miami or bust, then that then then you're out. Yeah, yeah. It's again the players have all the chips right now, man. It's like, will the league step in? Is this gonna get ugly? Are we gonna have you know, is is having two of these situations simultaneously with Damian Lillard and James Harden gonna be the breaking point for the league where it's like we have to we have to do something. We have to 
throw out some threats. We have to, you know, in inflict some punishments. We have to reduce some salary. We have to do something to get these guys from holding the league hostage like this. But it is fascinating. I do think Toronto is sitting there. You know, if, if there were to be a situation to do a change to that situation and maybe some of the power is taken away from Dame, if they could step in and make a play, they'd be, you know, leading the charge and being able to offer a really competitive package for that guy and offer a, a really competitive fit for when he gets there to be one of the, the teams to contend in the East. So, you know, with that, obviously the team has made a lot of transactional change with the players on their roster, but potentially the biggest change of the offseason is the departure of Nick Nurse, right? Obviously, you know, regarded as one of the best coaches in the entire league, somebody that's won a championship, you know, just, you know, basically four years ago at this point in time, still a relatively young guy. You know, what, what is your thought process on, you know, seeing him walk out the door, obviously coaching the Philadelphia 76ers next season? You know, did you feel it was time for a change or are you guys really going to feel, you know, you think you guys are going to end up missing Nick Nurse sooner rather than later? I think it was time for a change because it seemed like he wanted a change. And, yep. you know, I think especially, especially after that game in Philly or before that, that game in Philly, rather, where he was already seemingly being reflective and saying, you know, 10 years in one place is a long time and, uh, you know, talking up uh, the possibility of leaving. Uh, I think he might have already been checked out at that point. Uh, and so uh, I do think that it was the right time to move on in that sense. And, you know, the one thing I will say about Nick Nurse is it's amazing that he's gone to all these different places and won at different levels, right? Whether it's the British Basketball League, whether it's the G League, obviously done it at the NBA level. We have not seen him stick around with the team for very long in any of those places. Uh, and so he might just be that type of coach. Uh, you know, I, I kind of make the joke that, you know, he might be the Jose Mourinho of the NBA and like, you know, it's three, four years at a spot and, and that's all uh, that he's really, you know, tailor made for. Uh, and so I think that might be, might've been the situation with the Raptors and he's kind of, kind of wore out his time and he seems okay with that. Uh, and so we'll see how his time in Philly goes. Uh, I don't think the Raptors will miss him in the sense that he is someone who is uh, tailor-made for the playoffs, right? And get you wins in those high-pressure, um, high-leverage situations. And I don't think the Raptors are going to have many of those for the next little while. So yeah, in that, in that sense, I don't think they'll miss him that much. That's a great point, right? I think, you know, the first thing you said on two on just like, you know, being time for a change, like, in this era where we're going to see less and less players like the, you know, the Tim Duncans and the Kobe Bryants and the Steph Currys that presumably will play their entire career with one single team. It's probably less likely that we're going to get the coaches like that, too, like the Greg Popovich, for example, like that is going to become farther and, and fewer in between with, with, again, these players and these coaches having the flexibility and the power that they do. I think it's it's really difficult to obviously coach a team through true ups and downs, right? Just a few years ago, you're on top of the world, winning a championship, contending for a title. And then, you know, within two years of that, you know, you completely bottom out. And it, again, it's to no fault of the front office. You know, you do that Kawhi deal a million times over. Uh, but when he wants to leave right after that, it's like, well, that's that's tough. You can't really just replace that overnight. So uh, I think that that makes total sense. And, you know, a criticism of Nick Nurth, right, is like, despite, like you said, he's, he's obviously highly regarded as a, a grinder, somebody that can get wins in the playoffs, really smart defensive philosophy. But if there was a flaw, I would have to imagine it's the development of some of the younger players, right? Maybe it's his tendency to just, you know, play guys, his his guys, you know, his, his core five, six, seven guys, you know, 35 plus minutes per night. 
it is really difficult for some of the younger guys on that roster to get some shine. Now, I know that the Raptors haven't exactly been hot in the draft lately, but do you think like bringing in a guy like Darko could help, you know, really, you know, determine if there are any hidden gems on that roster that, you know, already exist that just haven't been discovered yet? Did you, you have any guys that kind of come to mind that could, you know, kind of shine with, with the new coaching staff? Well, I don't think, you know, anyone's a lock to just completely be, you know, unveiled uh, under under Darko. But I think the ones that I'm curious to see uh, what Darko can do with uh, are, you know, Precious Achua probably at the top of the list, you know, in terms of the potential that he's teased. Uh, how do you get that out of him uh, on a consistent basis? I, I think he's someone I'm curious to see. Um, I think McDaniels is another uh, coming over here and I think getting uh, more of an opportunity. Uh, I think he'll be uh, an interesting play. Uh, Malachi Flynn, all the, all the discussion that's been had over him and not getting opportunities under Nick Nurse. Okay, well, what does that look like now on, under Darko Ryakovic? Um, so those three guys are probably uh, who I'm looking at. And then, you know, on a different plane, uh, let's say, uh, at, a, at a higher level, the obvious ones, uh, you know, Scotty Barnes, uh, how does that point Scotty uh, experiment go? Uh, and uh, Gary Trent Jr. I think, you know, he seems uh, like a one-dimensional player at this point in his career. And so uh, there's obviously a lot made of uh, Ryakovich's relationship with Desmond Bain and how he challenged him to be a really complete player. Uh, and helped him with his playmaking and things like that. So what can Darko help him with in that regard? And obviously the staff, when you look at the majority of the staff he's hired, uh, they're development guys. And so uh, I think how they all come together to improve those guys will be very interesting to see. One guy I haven't mentioned, Christian Coloco. Um, I think he's an intriguing prospect. And so how his development comes along as well. So a lot of question marks, uh, you know, th those are the guys at different levels uh, that I'm looking to see what happens this season. Yeah, and I think in some ways that, you know, regardless if they make the decision to pull the plug on guys like Pascal and, and OG, like, there is some excitement there just for change, right? I think that it, it, it might, you know, changes. It, it's time for a change with the Raptors office, I think, front office, and I think not front office, with their roster, rather, and, and how they allocate their minutes. But I think that that could be a lot of fun. There's a lot of athleticism there. Precious, obviously, such a special defensive talent. Can you get him to be just, you know, a league average on the offensive end of the court? And that would do him wonders, you know, um, and obviously could get him some minutes at the center position as well. So I think that's really exciting. And, and I'll be looking to, to see how that, you know, shakes out for the Raptors as well. Uh, Vivek, before we let you go, one more fun exercise. Um, I had to ask you this because the Raptors are a pretty fascinating franchise, right? And there's a lot of different ways you could take this question. But I want to ask you, as somebody so close to the team, who are your top five Raptors of all time? Yeah, I mean, uh, Kyle Lowry, uh, for me, greatest Raptor of all time. I, I think everything that he's meant to the franchise and um, some of the situations where he could have been moved or looked like he was about to move on and then he ends up staying with the team. It's almost like uh, this predestined thing that was meant to be. <laughs> and yep. the way he's grown, like you look at what his reputation was when he joined the team and, and what his reputation was, uh, had become by the time he left. Uh, you know, made, made himself an all-star, made himself uh, one of the best defensive uh, point guards in the league uh, at his prime. And uh, that pull-up three, uh, the way that shot came along uh, to be to get to his peak, uh, 
that was incredible. And like all the intangibles he brings, um, and obviously lifting the championship, that makes him the greatest Raptor of all time in my eyes. And then you go Vince, Damar, Kawhi has to be in there just for being the guy that brought the championship, um, the main guy uh, on the team. So what, that's four? Yep, that's and you got now, four right there. So the fifth spot, um, you said Damar, you said, yeah. So I guess it's kind of, for me, I'm guessing, and maybe for you as well, a toss-up between Bosch and Siakam. It's kind of where you want to, where you lean there, right? Siakam's obviously got the ring, but, you know, Chris Bosch was, was all that franchise had for that, you know, brief period of time. So it's interesting to see yeah. where you're going to go there. So I will say I absolutely love Chris Bosch. I don't think he gets a fair shake in terms of uh, credit for what he accomplished during his time in Toronto. And uh, I think people criticize him unfairly uh, for the way he left. And I think if you were with the team at that time and you think about the fact that in all those years, the best player that they put next to Chris Bosch was what, Hiro Turkoglu. <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, you would know. <laughs> oh yeah that's um, i mean he had vince for like what like a half season at the start of his career maybe yeah. a season and a half obviously which was kind of fun if you had kind of let that play it obviously if vince didn't get out of town like that could have been a really fun duo there but no the, for sure there was not a lot of talent surrounding chris bosh at all exactly so um i think he was per perfectly well within his rights to leave uh and so uh, having said that, I, I do think Pascal Siakam's career to this point puts him ahead of Chris Bosh. Uh, I think, you know, obviously what was essentially the game winner in the finals um, going up against Raymond Green, the way he played throughout uh, that championship run was incredible. You look at his story, you know, coming from uh, Cameroon and building his career uh, at such a late stage you know he was a guy who played soccer first and just came to basketball late um and to be in the g league uh what was then the d league and to win a championship there then to come to the raptors win a championship take his game to the level where he's been on the all nba team two times he's been an all-star two times like no one would have plotted that out for pascal when he was first drafted and looked like nothing but a rim runner Heck, Dwayne Casey, when he was drafted, compared him to Bo Outlaw. And <laughs> he doesn't look anything like yeah. Bo Outlaw now. Yep. So, so it, all of that, uh, I, would put, uh, I would put Pascal Siakam in my top five, and there you go. Yeah, man. Pascal's got such a great story. You know, you see guys that average four points a game in their first season in the league and then seven points the following year, like... Fan bases don't have patience for that anymore. They're like, get him out of here and send him off. Get a get a second round pick for him. And the next thing you know, the dude is, you know, playing an extremely valuable role on a championship team just a season after that. That's great. I love those points. I think that's a super fair list for me. I'm a Celtics fan, so I feel like my team has to go through Kyle Lowry like every single year in the playoffs, like to this day. <laughs> and I can't stand watching him because he's just so frustrating, but he's so damn smart that like, I obviously respect him. And, you know, as somebody that supported Marcus Smart for the past, you know, eight, nine years, like, you know, <laughs> I understand what it's like to be like, man, if this guy wasn't on my team, I would hate this guy's guts. And Lowry is like, you know, a perfect example of that as well. So, yeah. you know, for me, I, I put, I, I tossed a list together. Obviously don't have as much knowledge as you. I had Kawhi at the top spot, but it is disrespectful to not give at least some of the longevity to guys that were a part of that championship 
team like Lowry, um, that obviously they weren't the necessarily the best player on the team, but uh, I think that you have a, a pretty good argument to be made for a lot of those guys. But Vivek, thank you so much for your time, man. This is fun. This is great to get an inside look at the Raps and, and kind of their puzzling situation. We're definitely going to keep tabs on how they do to start the season. If they have any other big moves, we'll be watching. Uh, but before I let you go, just tell the people where they can find you, where they can find all of your awesome content. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at VivekMJacob. You can follow my work uh, on the Raptors at Raptors.com. And uh, besides that, I do some soccer content, some tennis content. Uh, I have a Substack called uh, The Sports Student, so you can sign up for that. Um, the link should be in my Twitter bio. And uh, again, Nick, thanks so much for having me. Highly recommend you guys check him out, man. He does fantastic work, great articles as well, great appearances on the Lockdown Podcast Network for the Raptors as well. So be sure to check him out, and I will talk to you guys next week. Before I let you go, be sure to follow the show, at Words with Wallace, on everything. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Peace. <laughs>